You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. Good to see you guys. You all ready for Valentine's Day today? You guys excited about that? Hmm, awesome. Nobody's excited about that. Ladies, I'm sure you are excited. Uh, hopefully your, your, your man got you something good. Um, I want to give away something today. Um, I've got a gift card that I'm going to give away. And I was just wondering, like the first person I can see, all right, is anybody in here engaged? Anybody at all engaged want a gift today? Be, be proud. Way in the back. I see you guys. All right, come here. You got to come up to get the gift, okay? I know you're, you're like, the last thing you want to do is be embarrassed at church, but I promise I got a good gift. Can you come up? Would you give this, this couple, young, beautiful couple, a round of applause as they make their way? You see, I love Valentine's Day, uh, and I would love it more if I was like in the uh, flower business or like the chocolate business. Uh, but, you know, love sometimes in the worldly kind of standard is, is a little confusing. And so I wanted to take this moment to really, to really help you guys, all right? So uh, can you, what, what's y'all's names? Don. Don. And Mary Carol. All right, so you guys are engaged, getting ready to be married. Now listen, I did this because I wanted this to be like a memorable moment. I know you'd be nervous, and I knew this would be one of the things, but one of the greatest things that I could ever tell a couple about to be married is that the most important thing is to pursue Jesus. Because if you pursue Jesus, your love for each other will grow. And when things get tough, when things get rocky, hold on to him. All right, that is the most important thing you could ever do. Now, you guys can go to Cheesecake Factory on me and uh, enjoy that. Eat a piece of cheesecake for me. Congratulations. Would you just thank them? Again, Valentine's Day is one of those things where, you know, I don't know if you like it or enjoy it, but what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to show our significant other that we, we love them. And, and we're supposed to show them that, you know, here, you're, you know, here's how much I love you, so I'm going to take you to dinner, I'm going to buy you stuff, right? And so, so um, you know, the, the thing about love is if you look to Jesus throughout the Scripture, then you'll always increase your love for your significant other. Because when you look to the life of Jesus, you see what true love is. And so sometimes we don't always apply it to our significant other. We think, oh yeah, we got to love our neighbor and love people. But when you really look at his life, you'll begin to see just how much God loves you and how that love is, is, is important in our own personal life to share with others. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 17. We're in a series going through the book of John, and uh, we're actually in day 15 of our 90-day challenge. And so I just want to thank you guys for giving. You're really changing the landscape of our church right now because there's so many new people that uh, made a commitment to be obedient to God and to give. So I encourage you guys to continue to do that. Uh, some exciting things are happening. One of those exciting things is we just hired a, a new creative pastor. His name is Taylor Knight, and he's the handsome young man in the back. Take a look at him. He is waving to you right now. He and his wife, Victoria, are a great team. He's going to be leading our media, uh, a lot of what happens on Sundays, and he's also going to lead our college ministry. So if you're in college, he's the guy to go see. Um, He's going to do an incredible job for us. And so excited about that. So as we jump into this text this morning, we see the love of Jesus. But interestingly or not, it's not the kind of love that you might expect on Valentine's Day. Because the gift that Jesus gives to us out of love is the gift of prayer. And so Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, 
the night that he is arrested, remember this is late Thursday night, he's praying, the guards are getting ready to come to arrest him, take him to trial early hours, early hours of Friday morning, and by noon he is dead on the cross. And so as he is praying, his last final like act with his disciples is to pray for himself and what's about to happen. And he prays for his disciples and then he prays for you and I. And what a tremendous lesson we learned today about the love of Jesus. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to John 17. We're going to jump through the first five verses and then we're going to go through 12 a little bit later. And the second part of the chapter we're going to talk about next week. So it says this in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. By the way, if you've got your Bible, circle that word glorify every time. It's an important word in this passage. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, notice first of all here that, that, that he says the hour has come. So the hour has come, again, refers to the hour of his arrest, trial, crucifixion, resurrection. This is why Jesus came to earth. This is the mission. So he references that all throughout the gospels, the hour, the hour, the hour, and this, the, the hour is at hand. He's about to be arrested and then he prays. And the way that he prays is a posture of prayer that we don't often do in our culture, but he actually looks up into heaven. His eyes gaze into heaven and he, and he begins his prayer to God. Now, this is a good lesson on prayer because sometimes we kind of get locked into the same posture of prayer. You know, in our culture, it's usually bowed head, eyes closed, fold your hands, you know, that kind of thing, which is great. But if that's the only way that you pray, I want to challenge you and encourage you to, to mix it up a little bit. You know, sometimes when we look up to heaven, there's kind of this recognition. If you're outside, you're looking up into the stars, you're looking up into the sky, and you're, you're, you're recognizing that God is there and he is real and, and, and with you. And I know another great posture of prayer is, is when you're praying on your knees. And so I, I know that kind of during worship, a lot of times we'll come forward and we'll pray over things on our knees because what a powerful posture of prayer that is just to show God that we are humble in this way as we come to him and, and even being prostrate on the ground. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but man, sometimes when I'm desperate or just in, in, in just kind of the zone with God, it's like all face forward on the ground and just humbling myself in such a way that, that I posture it. Uh, my, 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 my body physically before him saying, God, I need you. Here, here I am and, and, and I'm offering my heart to him, you know. So, so closing your eyes is not a necessity to pray. So like if you're driving down the road, you can still pray, right? Not a good idea to close your eyes. Might want to keep your eyes open there. Uh, you're walking down the, the road, walking through the halls of your office. You can be in prayer. Now some of you can't chew gum and walk at the same time. So you're just a little clumsy and I get that. But, but, but here, here's the idea. We can pray in different postures to mix it up and allow our prayer life to, to uh, just, just be received by God in different ways. I think it will be inspiring to you. And so, so I know for us, like we'll pray before we eat. So as a family, we're, we're sitting around the table, we're, we're praying. And typically, you know, we would close our eyes and pray. But we got this dog last, last year and he's a pretty big dog. And so like if we close our eyes now at dinner time, somebody's gonna lose a biscuit, you know? Because <laughs> Brutus will come and he will snatch that. So we kind of have to keep an eye on him. But, but just mix it up in your prayer life. And so he says, the hour has come, glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority. God has given Jesus all authority over heaven and earth. 
right? God has given him all authority. He's in control. And then a little bit later, he says, give them eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. Eternal life is not that we, you know, how long we're going to live a million years. You know, it's not like he's going to give us a lot of money and he's going to do this or do that. Eternal life is spelled out for us very clearly here. Eternal life is knowing the only true God. You want to know how you receive eternal life? Know the one true God, he says, and then Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. And so there's this idea where we're already beginning the, the stage of eternal life now. Sure, we die, but our, our life extends into paradise with him. And so we're, we're, we're in that zone. We are, we are living for that moment. And so eternal life is given to us as we know God, we know Jesus Christ. And so what's cool here is I wanna, I wanna point out three things that Jesus prays for here. So we're going to learn a lot about how he prays. We're going to learn about what's important to him as he prays. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing Jesus prays for is that God would receive the glory, that the Father would receive the glory, that, that, that he would in fact receive glory. So how, what does this mean? How do we glorify God? What does glory even mean? Well, that word uh, is used eight different times in this passage. And so it's an important concept that, that we've got to understand. But he's talking to uh, God. He's talking about his glory. And, and simply put, to glorify God means to make the character of God evident, the greatness of God evident to the world. So anytime you and I are showing the world what God is like, we're bringing glory to him. All right, so anytime we are bringing glory to God, we are making the, the world know who he is. We're, we're displaying his greatness. We're sharing his love. And so for you and I, it's like, okay, here's how we glorify God. We, we let the world know how great God is. And that is when we are truly glorifying God. And so Jesus is saying here, I want to be glorified that I might glorify you. God, when you glorify me, I'm glorifying you. You And so this is, this is huge. How is he glorifying him? How is he in fact gonna glorify his father in this moment? Well, he says very clearly that I am accomplishing the mission that you set before me. So the idea is this, God is a sending God. He sends Jesus in the world for a purpose, for a reason, on a mission. And he says, I'm glorifying you in, in the way that I am making the world know how awesome you are is that I've lived a perfect sinless life. I gave these disciples your word. I preached your word. They believed in it. And now I am going to the cross. And as I go to the cross, I, I suffer, I die. And then I, I resurrect myself to overcome sin and death. And so what better way does God demonstrate his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, this is love. Jesus goes to the cross willingly. He knew he would have to suffer humiliation and pain. He knew it would not be easy. He knew he would have to suffer, and yet he willingly goes. Philippians chapter 2 says that he was obedient, even to the point of death. So how do you and I glorify God? We live a life of obedience. We live a life of obedience. And the life of obedience that Jesus demonstrates here is that he accomplishes the work that God gave him to do. So let's think about yourself for a minute. Let's apply it. Are you bringing glory to God in your life today? 
And here's how you answer that. Are you accomplishing the work that God has given you to do? That's a tough question. Are you accomplishing the work that God specifically said, hey, I want you to do this. You see, for me, the work that God called me to do, I fought and struggled and ran from. Like I knew even back in high school and through my college years that, that God was calling me into this lifestyle of, of, of ministry and, and of service, uh, service to him full time. And I resisted it and I fought it and I ran to my sin and, and I was disobedient during that season of my life. And, and yet it wasn't until I accepted the work that God wanted me and was calling me to do that I truly began to glorify him. You see, if you're in a, a season of disobedience in your life, then everything is really hectic, you know? Have you experienced that? Like when you're disobedient to God, then there's friction in relationships, there's friction in your walk with God. There's, there's just friction, it seems kind of everywhere. And it's not until we fully obey him that we have a different kind of friction, right? And so the different kind of friction is now that I'm serving God, like people don't like the fact that I am, I am preaching and sharing the word. Like we're gonna, we're gonna see here, he, Jesus gave us the word and this is why the world hates us because of his word. And so, so, so for you and I, like we wanna glorify him. We wanna make the world see how great he is. We wanna put him on display in our life and we do that by accomplishing the work that God has given to us. Now, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse seven, God says, bring all who claim me as their God. So anybody in this room that claims to be a follower of Jesus, anybody that says he is my God, he's talking to you. He says, any, any that claim, to claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. God made you to glorify him. So if you're not glorifying him, you're not doing what you were created to do. John Piper says, mission exists because worship does not exist. What he means by that is there are cultures and there are neighborhoods and there are people groups in this country and around the world who do not worship God. They do not worship Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And because worship does not exist in that culture, in that neighborhood, in that city, in that part of the world, then mission exists. So God sends the son to accomplish a mission. Jesus dies, he resurrects himself. He then sends you and I, his disciples, into the world to bring glory to God by sharing and showing what God is like. And in doing so, we bring glory to God. And as we do that and we show people who God is, God's people receive him as their Lord and Savior. And now worship exists there. True worship exists, worship of God. And so God is ascending God. We are on mission. He has given us a work to do. Are we accomplishing that work? You see, God is glorified as we are sent and as we accomplish the mission. When we accomplish the work that he gave us, then we are living just like Jesus lived. I mean, imagine, think about it. He's about to die, right? Don't, you can't forget that in this context here. He's about to be arrested, sent to trial and murdered on the cross. And as he's thinking about this is getting ready to happen in less than 24 hours, he's praying. And as he's praying and as he's pouring out his heart here, he's saying, I, I've accomplished what you gave me to do. He's, he's essentially on his deathbed and he's saying, God, I did what you asked me to do. How amazing would that be if that were the case for your life? Like one day when you're on your deathbed, you know, long, many years from now, and you're, you, you know death is imminent. And in your mind, you've got your family around you. And in your mind, and, and the conversation is like this. You know what? 
I'm at peace because I did what God called me to do. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just like Paul, you would have, you'd be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Like I get to receive that and I'm gonna be in his presence and, and, and I'm at peace because I accomplished the work that God has given me to do. And so we wanna wrap our mind around that, bring glory to God now. As the, the scripture says here that Jesus says, I shared this with them and they believed. And so he's like, I, I shared they believe, and now God receives the glory because they believe. Anytime we're seeing people accept Christ, anytime we're seeing this happen, then we are bringing glory to God. Last Sunday, um, I was one of the last ones to leave after the third service, and I was going out to my car and, um, you know, walking through the grass and, and uh, just doing my thing, and I, I hear, hey, hey, and, and, and I hear these footsteps running towards me, and I'm like, I'm about to go karate kid on somebody, you know. And I turn around, and this guy's like, Pastor Trent, man, I just want to stop you. I just had to tell you, thank you. I accepted Christ today. And I was like, bro, that is amazing. High five. I don't know you. Thanks for sharing that. This is incredible. This is the best decision you've ever made in your life. And I was like, man, see, these are the kind of stories that happen on a regular basis here at FC. So if you're serving in the cafe, if you're on the hospitality team, security team, you're parking people and it's like, man, it's cold outside and nobody like came forward. I didn't see any decision. But God is moving every week. You know, the care and prayer room is happening. <laughs> like God is sending people. God is sent, you know, the, the Lord is working. And so thank you for serving. And, and this is, this is a, just a simple reality of how God is getting glory here through your ministry and what God is doing in the life of this church. So notice Jesus' definition of eternal life here, that it's knowing God, it's knowing him, and, 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 and recognizing that eternal life is not just the, the, the quantity of our life, how many years are we gonna live, but the quality of our life. Knowing him is where that quality comes from. All right, let's jump into verse six and we'll go through 12 now. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So manifested, in other words, I showed them what you were like. I taught them about you, I gave them your word, I showed them how awesome you are. I showed them and, and, and taught them what your love is like. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. So he, he recognized that he is praying for his disciples specifically right now. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So it, it's not that praying for people in the world is a bad thing. And, and the world is not like the earth. The world is culture, people in the world. That's what he's talking about. And, and remember, he's about to be arrested, so the focus is on his boys, his disciples. These are the guys he's poured into. These are the guys that are gonna revolutionize and change the world. And so his focus on this night is on them right now in this prayer. And then in verse 10, he says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is such powerful truth. We could spend the rest of the month talking about these few verses, but, but I, I want us to see that 
He's talking to God about what he's already done. So he's, he's saying, I've given them the word, I've showed them, I've taught them, they've believed, they've received. And so I, I was really challenged by this over the last few, week, few weeks as I'm thinking through this and praying through this. Um, like Jesus is praying to God and he doesn't start with, God, here's what I need. God, give me this, give me, give me, give me. Bless me in this area and I need this and I need that. He starts his prayer here at this moment by saying, God, here's what I've done. And I'm asking you to use what I've done to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, it, there's a lesson here on, on how to pray when we think about it. So when my prayer is, God, here's what I've done and here's how I've done it. And I just wanna, I wanna ask you to use this to, to change this and to change that. Then you're, 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 you're kind of in a deeper level with God. Think about it. I was, I was hit, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm praying through this, and I've got, you know, my prayer uh, list that I pray for people all the time, you know, and so I was praying in the morning for this same family that I've been praying for for many, many weeks, and almost routine now to pray for this family, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm praying for this, so I'm like, wait a minute, so God made, connected a few dots in my head on this passage, and I'm like, I gotta go over there. So I go over there, instead of just praying for encouragement, I go over and I spend some time with him, and I encourage, and we read scripture, and we pray, and we hang out. And then a week later, now I'm like praying, God, I went over and I hung out and I prayed for and I read this and I shared this and now I'm asking you to use that to encourage and bless them. See, that's a whole new different level. Jesus understood this. And the idea is, is that God has a role and a part to play. He answers prayer, he's all powerful, he's given all authority to the Son, right? So he's gonna do what he wants to do. And yet Jesus is realizing here and teaching us that we have a part to play as well. You have a role to play in, in changing the lives of people around you. And yes, we wanna pray for people, but we also want the activity and the obedience of actually engaging people. And so, and so if I'm sharing my faith, I'm not just saying save this uncle or save this friend or save this coworker. I'm, I'm sharing the truth of God with them I'm, I'm living an example of how to follow God in front of them. And then my prayers are, God, use my example. Use the truth that I shared with them today to save them. Folks, that's a whole different level because there's a reality in our prayer life that there is a part that we have to play to make disciples, to impact people. And we wanna understand it just as Jesus understand it. He is actively depending upon God. He realizes that it's through God that all this is going to happen, and yet he knows he has a part to play. I love how he's praying here. He's telling God what he's done, and so he's saying, I, I revealed you, Father, to them. I taught them to obey your word. They know that everything that's been given to me is from you. They know that everything that's given to them is from you. I gave them the words you gave me, and they believed and we are sending them. We're about to send them out to change the world. All of this brings glory to God. After Jesus prays that, hey, God, we want, I want you to receive all the glory. The second thing that he prays for here is he prayed for our protection. He prayed for our protection. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. There's another interesting word here I want you to grasp, and it's in 11 and 12. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Notice, Jesus isn't praying that we be taken out of the world. God, protect them from these mean people on earth. Let me, let's just take them out. Let's make sure they don't suffer. Jesus, make sure nobody gets sick in their family. Make sure they have plenty of money so they never have any worries. Make sure that there's plenty of food and plenty of things for them to do that like they won't have any stress. He's not praying like that, is he? He's praying that we stay in the world. We suffer and yet we 
are protected as we serve and accomplish the work that he's given to us. This word keep here can be translated protect. It's this word that, that can, can go either way. So it's the keeping power of God, the protection power of Jesus and, and, and the Father. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. So we are kept, we are protected in the name of God, which you have given me. And, they have, and that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. So again, I protected them in your name, which you have given me, and I have guarded them, and not one of them was lost. So this is the protection and keeping power of the Father, of the Son, holding on to, protecting us, guarding us. So what is he guarding? What is he protecting? Because we all suffer. We have financial problems. We have burdens. We, we have all kinds of sickness going on. What's he protecting us from? Number one, he's protecting our salvation. He's keeping our salvation. See, this is huge. He says, not one of them has been lost. So, so the idea for us is that when we, when we have been uh, chosen by God, he saves us. That salvation is kept and guarded and protected by him. My salvation is not based upon what I do. My salvation is not based upon my effort and my work. My salvation is based upon the work of Jesus. And so he saves me and then he keeps me saved. So this is a huge, we call it the perseverance of the saints, which means that if you truly have accepted Christ, you won't lose that salvation. And this is exactly what he's teaching us here and elsewhere in the New Testament. Now the New Testament teaches us that, you know, because a lot of the feedback on this is like, well, you can't just get saved and then go out there and live however you want to live and sin and do whatever and you just get hell insurance or whatever. And of course not. You don't just get saved and then do whatever you want to do in that. that. That would be evidence that you truly don't know who Jesus is. But a heart that is truly submitted to Jesus by faith in him, God has saved you. You don't have to worry that somebody's going to come along and snatch that salvation from you. There's not a sin that you can commit that would cause you to, to lose that. Now, anyone that would say there are sins that you could do that would cause you to lose that has a very low view of our sinfulness because what would cause me to lose it? Lying to my wife, cheating on my wife, you know, making a bad financial deal, not giving to God. What, which, which one is it, is it going to be? And so the reality is we are so sinful. The Bible says that we are so sinful in Isaiah. We're as filthy rags. The very best that we have to offer God is like a filthy rag compared to his standard in righteousness. And so, so no matter what effort I give to God, he's still shaking his head, right? Like we're never gonna meet his standard unless... The blood of Jesus has been poured out into our life and his sacrifice has saved us. And so in that, our salvation is secure. Think of it like this. Um, over Christmas, several years ago, we were at the mall, not our not local mall, not mall in Knoxville. And so very crowded, cars everywhere, and people are driving like maniacs, you know, during that season. And so my son at the time was three years old and his nickname was the Tornado. So he was everywhere, just kind of going everywhere. And, and so... As a dad, you know, you're walking out into the parking lot and the thing that you typically say is like, you know, don't cross the road, look both ways before you cross the road and, and you know, don't run out in traffic. There's cars everywhere and I've got four kids so we had them all with us. It's like herding cattle or cat, you know, and so you're constantly worried. And so 
We go outside and I'm like, I've got to grab Bryson's hand because he's a tornado, right? Hey, I can't trust him in this situation. And so I grab his hand and we're walking out into the parking lot. And when he sees the car, he was like, I want to be first in car because he wants to be first at everything. And so he takes off running to the car and I, ha- I have his hand and I hold on to his hand. And as he pulls me and as he, he goes, I like jerk him back. That's how hard he was going towards the car. Right, so I hold on to him. And right at that moment, right at that moment, a crazy car driver came zooming around the corner. And had I not held on to him, he would have been right in the pathway of that car. So my wife almost passes out, you know, and we're like, ah, you know, this is why I told you, Bryce. You know, so we go through all of, all of that stuff. Yes, pastors do that too. And, um, and so the, the, the point here is this is what God is doing for us in salvation. Like the, the, the danger here is all around us. And, and my, you know, my, my sin would lead me to run and to go here and to do that. And yet my salvation is not based on whether or not I hold on to my father's hand. My salvation is based on the fact that my father has held on to my hand. And it's his keeping power. It's, it's his hand that holds me in salvation. And so we, golly, man, we should get excited about that truth. And that doesn't cause us to run out on the streets and live however we want to live like a crazy maniac. No, we are submitted to this God who loves us so much that he would hold on to our hand. And we would give him everything. And we would bring glory to him because of his love for us. And so... The, the, the keeping power of Jesus maintains our salvation. He gives us our salvation and it's through him that we keep it. We're protected by you know, all the different things that could happen. We're protected in and by the power of his name. Now, there's one question here because then he says, well, except for Judas. So the question is, well, well did Jesus lose Judas what happened there did Judas like follow Jesus and then and then like he 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 left the faith or 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 was Jesus like he you know what he was teaching and doing not good enough almost like Jesus fumbled like he has these 12 guys and he's running down the field and all of a sudden oh Jesus fumbled and and lost one He, he he lost Judas no see the New Testament shows us who Judas is Jesus refers to the Old Testament prophecy that said that Judas would in fact betray him. He's called the son of perdition or the son of destruction here. Pretty heavy words. He willingly decided to sin and he willingly never got it. He never followed Jesus. He never received by faith who Jesus was. And so elsewhere in the New Testament, actually in John, John chapter six, he's, John calls him a devil, speak, specifically talking about Judas. In John 12, Judas is regarded as a thief. In chapter 13, he's called the instrument of Satan. You see, Judas is a divider and, and, and he's, he's dismissing him as the weak link in the 12. He's the guy that chose to go his own selfish way, not to accomplish the work God wanted him to do, but to accomplish his own work. And so for a few dollars, he exchanges his Jesus and, and, and receives that money and, and, and he fulfills the scripture as the one who would betray the Messiah. And so it's not like Jesus fumbled. It's not like Jesus lost him. He never really had it. And if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it explains this very scenario. 
anyone that would be in church, and you've probably seen people in church for a while, and then, you know, all of a sudden they're out of church, and they're living, you know, a worldly life or whatever, and it's like, man, you know, did they lose their salvation? They were here, they, I thought they had it, and now they're, they're like living, they lost it. Well, 1 John 2, 19 tells us that they never really had it. And their going away proves that they never really had it. And so that encourages us that God is protecting that for us. And the second thing that he's protecting is our victory. So our salvation is protected, our victory is protected. Because think about it, God is protecting us and and not one of us will be lost. And so what that means is we will experience victory. We will experience eternal life. You will experience victory over sin, over death. You will experience victory over suffering. You will experience victory over disease. One day in the presence of God, all peace, all healing, all comfort, perfect unity will take place. So our victory is imminent. That's what we get to look forward to. That's what we get to understand when Jesus says in chapter 16, we talked about it last week, that I've overcome the world. He said, take heart. You're gonna experience a lot of trouble and suffering, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So the idea is future. And then all of this chapter, we see this word world over and over and over and over again. So he's like, hey, I overcame the world. And look, I know you're gonna face a very hostile world. They're gonna hate you. They're gonna reject what you have to say. It's gonna be very difficult. This is why people at work, you know, leave you out of social situations because they know your faith. This is why you have different political views with people at work and in your family because of our faith. And he says, look, I know it's gonna be tough, but I'm not gonna take you out of the world. I want you to stay there and I'm gonna keep your salvation while you're there. And I'm gonna gonna allow you to win because I won while you're there. Now, why does the world hate us? This is helpful too. He says, they kept your word. Verse verse eight, he says, for I have given them the words that you gave me. So it's not that the world hates Christians necessarily. They don't necessarily hate you. So don't take it personal that they hate you. (laughs) See, they hate you because you have accepted his words. You've accepted this. And, And it's because of this word that the world hates you. So don't take it personal. Take it as a badge of honor. Like, wait a minute, you don't agree with this? Sweet. Like, like that means I'm on his side. That's a good thing, right? So I'm not going to take it personal that you hate me. And when I talk about things from the stage on Sunday mornings and I'm communicating, I have people text me or not text me, but like email me. Hey, I didn't like it when you said or whatever. I'm like, well, let me first of all check. Oh, no, that's in the Bible. So I'm good with that. <laughs> I don't care if you hate what I have to say because it's not what I have to say. It's what he said. So, so get some of that. That's what I usually say. No, I don't say that. <laughs> As Christians, we realize that the, the way to get the world to love us is to reject his, world, his word. So if you want to be accepted at work, if you want to be accepted in those political circles or whatever, then you, ex- you deny this word and you'll be quickly accepted. So, so the idea for Jesus is to give us victory, to give us protection, to guard us while we maintain the word of his truth and we boldly accomplish the work that he says that we must do. Worship does not ex- exist at your office place and in parts of the world and in parts of this city. And so we have a mission. There is a work to do. The final thing that Jesus prays for is that he prays for unity. He prays for unity. See, the easiest thing for the enemy to do is to divide 
the workers, to divide the, the, the people who have been sent to accomplish a mission. If he can divide us with petty you know, situations, with, with differences, with, with theological issues, if we are divided, then the mission is not accomplished. So of course Judas was a divider. Of course the enemy wants to raise up dividers in the church to distract and to keep us from accomplishing the, the work that God has set out for us to do. And so next week we're gonna dive into that. The rest of this passage really reflects on that idea and talks to us about what it means to be a church that is united. I cannot wait to share it. It's so powerful. The bottom line for today is this. In Jesus's prayer, we see that it is answered when we bring glory to God by living our life on mission and by uniting in confidence together. So if you and I, I mean, just imagine answering the prayer that Jesus prayed over 2,000 years ago. And we do that very simply when we're bringing glory to God. How are we bringing glory to God? By making the world know who he is. We do that in 100,000 different ways. And as we make the world know who he is, we're united together in confidence, accomplishing the work that he has set out for us to do. When we do that, then we are imitating the life of Jesus. We're transforming the lives of people around us. And the day of our death, we'll be able to say, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is so encouraging. This is truth, Lord, that really needs to be processed. And so I pray that you'll take the words spoken today, the scripture that was read today, and you will help our people by your spirit understand this truth and be excited about this truth. How exciting it is to have a work and a mission given to us by our God. How exciting it is to know that 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 God doesn't just want us to like, like aimlessly walk around in life. He's got a goal. He's got a purpose. He's got a mission for us. And he's not doing these things on accident. But God, you brought us here for a reason. And Lord, I know in this room there are people struggling with that mission and calling. And I'm praying that you would lead them to be bold, to become obedient, just as Jesus was obedient, even unto death, Lord. And let that encourage us today that we would walk out of this room ready and willing to be obedient to the call that you have given to us. Bless us as we continue to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.